Welcome back to the Pastor's Kid to Policeman's Wife. It's definitely been a few weeks since our last episode, but my plan is to drop one to two episodes a month. I think I may have mentioned that in the past. Uh, It just takes me some time to really put together a product that's easy for people to listen to and also something that you will want to continue to listen to. So that's why there's not an episode coming out weekly or even daily as some podcasts do. I want to put together the best product I can and I am doing it on my own. So I want to make sure I'm not wasting your time and that these podcasts are worthwhile. Today we're going to be discussing a type of transition that Christians should be aware of. As you well know, there are some transitions in life that we as believers in Christ should avoid. As Proverbs 4, 14 through 15 tells us, there's a path which we should not enter. We shouldn't even go near it. And one of those paths is the path that leads Christians toward abandoning the fellowship of the believers. And by that, I mean abandoning their church, which often leads to an abandonment of faith in God. Well, today it is my goal to get to the heart of the matter, pun intended. I hope that as you listen, this episode will be a source of encouragement to you and also help us all to better understand why it is that so many Christians are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, Why don't we start this episode with a verse, and then I would like to pose a question for you. I know that normally in these episodes, I am interviewing a guest. Today, you have me. And you as listeners, I have questions for you. And if you would like to answer them in comments, that would be great. But I also am answering some of my own questions as well as I've done some research lately on this. I actually did have a person that was going to do this episode with me and I was going to interview them, but unfortunately there were some scheduling conflicts and it just didn't happen in time. So let's start with the verse and that is the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. It says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The authorship of this book is technically unknown, but most Bible scholars believe that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this, and I would tend to agree with them. Now, who is forsaking? We're talking to believers, people who are a part of the body of Christ. They have departed from the believers. They've departed from the fellowship of the believers. So I'm not under the belief that if you have moved from one church and you were going to another local assembly, I don't believe that that would mean that you have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. As long as you're attending a Bible-believing church of local believers you're still apart, you're still assembling yourself together. And I also, from the context of this, understand that this is not talking about people who have missed a service here and there. 
you were on vacation, you missed a service, you were traveling, missed a service, your kid's sick, you're sick, you missed services. It happens, especially when you're a parent, your kids get sick and you get sick and the whole family, it happens. But this is really referring to people who have just departed from the church fellowship of believers. They are not attending anywhere regularly. And we see that Paul is trying to tell us that it's very important that we continue to do this because we need that fellowship. We need to be exhorting one another in God's word, encouraging one, one another, cheering one another on in the faith. And we need to do it even more often as we get closer to Christ's return. So here's the question. Why do people leave the church? Why do people leave the church? I posed this question on social media and I had a lot of different answers. I had a few people say, oh, you know, backbiters, gossipers, bad teaching. Had somebody say legalism. There's a lot of different reasons why people leave the church. Somebody said they didn't get enough spotlight that they wanted. I'd agree with those. And you could probably come up with some other reasons as well. Hurt feelings. There's all kinds. But before we go there, I did have a funny conversation with my brother-in-law the other day. And it was just very applicable to this. The other day I was visiting him at his college and I was sitting in his college library. His college is not far from our house. And... I was doing some reading and he was getting ready to leave and he said to me, hey, I'm going going to go ahead and go to Pete's house. The funny thing is, Pete's house is my house because Pete is my husband. It was a mistake in the moment and I joked back with him in agreement, of course. I said, yes, you're right. It is Pete's house. I'm just a mere guest. Once again, I was joking. But the sad, egregious fact is that is exactly how many Christians feel in their own church assemblies. They feel like they're only guests. They may have attended regularly for years. They may be church members, but they still feel like they're only guests. Now, perhaps they only feel like guests because they never really attached themselves to the assembly. You know, Proverbs does advise us that we should show ourselves friendly. And I believe it's important that all of us in our churches are doing that. It's so much easier for someone who feels like they're just a guest to detach himself and disassemble because he never really integrated himself into the work going on in that assembly. Those people could be the people that end up leaving the church. But there are a lot of reasons, as I said. So I have three reasons that I believe are biblical reasons why people may leave the church. And then I have an interesting story that definitely applies. So the number one reason I believe people leave the church is lost love. Revelation Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
in this passage of Revelation, Jesus Christ is actually the one talking. And if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you will see that it's in red. Jesus is actually telling John, the writer, about seven different churches. And in this verse, he's talking about the Ephesus church. And he's just listed prior to this verse, several things that this church is doing right. And he's saying, you know, you, you're working hard, you're, you're laboring the way you should, but you've left your first love. They've lost their love. You know, I think that this could be on the part of the member who was departed from the faith and, and left the church. Or perhaps on faithful church attenders. These people, they go to church and they're involved and they are teaching Sunday school and they're greeting people and they're doing things for the church people and they're, they're encouraging one another or trying to. They're singing in the church, but they've lost their love for Christ. It is possible that duty has become superior in their hearts to love. And what happens is this causes burnout and it causes strife also known as self-seeking. Many would say that this is where legalism becomes a problem because it's all about duty. Well, I have to do this. I have to do that. And there's no love involved. I think legalism is a word that is often misused. I believe it can better be described as a church whose focus is on rigid rules rather than having a loving of Christ there's no love behind the standard it's just this is the rule and if you disobey it you are rejected and you must leave ostracism and it definitely pushes people away lost love is a problem that I see in churches today I'm a pastor's kid I've grown up in church and I've seen I've seen it happen in in people and in other churches number two misplaced love 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. He tells him, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, this present age. Demas is our example of someone who has truly forsaken. I, I think it's interesting that scripture uses the word forsaken here. It calls back to the Hebrews passage. He has forsaken God's people for a love of something in this present world. We don't know exactly what that could have been. It could be, you know, the culture was enticing to him and he's fallen into cultural sins. Whatever it was, he departed from the fellowship of the believers because there was something out there that he loved more than Christ. How sad. For that is the last we know about this man in scripture. And a lot of times you hear about teenagers that have grown up in the church, they go to university and all of a sudden they're gone. Could it be that they have loved this present world? Could be misplaced love. It's a sad story. Well, here is a third reason that we see people disassembling themselves from the church. And that is due to monetary love. I believe that there are two good examples of this in the New Testament. That would be in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife, and also in the life of Judas Iscariot. 
all three of these people let money clout their judgment. Ananias and Sapphira let it come between themselves and the rest of their church, the rest of the believers. But even worse, they let the money come between themselves and the Holy Spirit. Judas, of course, he did come a little before the church age, but his love for monetary gain was to his own detriment. And I know that Judas, by most biblical scholars, is considered an unbeliever, someone who rejected Christ, and because of his rejection, he is probably in hell today because if you reject Christ, that's where you will spend eternity. Uh, Judas was a part of Jesus's closest disciples, and yet his thoughts were always on the money, on the selfish gain. I mean, we are told the love of money in scripture is the root of all evil. And we see it clearly in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 and the story of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus for silver. I believe that this describes the kind of per- person in churches today that they attend the church for what it can do for them. Now, there's nothing wrong with needing money at times and, and the church helping you out. But if that's the only reason you attend church, that's that's a problem. And people that want to see what the church can do for them. And when the church stops doing for them in their minds, they leave. And we have all three of these kinds of people in our churches today. Some of these are reasons people leave the church and we do need to be aware of these things. So I'm sure you could list a lot more, but I think there is a bigger question than why do people disassemble? A really important question that we should be asking even more than that previous is, is there a way back for those that have disassembled? Can they come back? And I believe the answer to that question is yes, praise Jesus. We, we see some examples in scripture. John Mark, who Paul says in Acts 15, 37 through 38, had departed from him in the middle of their mission work. But then he's later restored because Paul talks about him as helpful. And I believe that's because of Barnabas taking him under his wing and just encouraging him. That's something we can remember, believers. The Apostle Peter. I know that Peter's denial of Christ was also not a church age thing, but it's a story about a man who denied Jesus, transitioned away from his faith in Jesus, and then he comes back. Jesus brings him back and says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And he encourages and exhorts Peter. And that's exactly what we are supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to help the weaker believers and encourage them. Well, with the few minutes we have left, I would like to share with you a story that I believe will provide some hope for believers who feel somewhat helpless as they watch other believers fall away, disassembling themselves. And this story is the story of Adoniram Judson. It's a true story, and it is his testimony. In the year 1788, a baby boy named Adoniram was born to a Christian family in Malden, Massachusetts. His father was a Congregationalist minister who imagined his son to be destined for a great future. And Adoniram would prove to be a boy of great potential. 
By age three, he was reading chapter books through the instruction of his mother. And by age nine, he was showing talent in all areas academically. Naturally a bookish boy, he enjoyed solving puzzles. And he was able to solve his local newspaper's very difficult puzzle called the Enigma. And he did it with ease. His father was so impressed and he began to encourage his son's ambition in academics. So by age 16, they had him enrolled into Brown College in Providence, Rhode Island. Now, Brown College had been founded as a result of the Great Awakening, and it was believed to be untouched by the humanistic philosophies that had tainted other institutions at the time, like Harvard and Yale. But that didn't mean that pernicious philosophies weren't entering through the mouths of the students. Well, Adoniram began his career at Brown as a sophomore because when he arrived, he was able to test out of his freshman year. He ended up sparking a friendship with a young man named Jacob Eames. And Jacob was a year ahead of him in school. Jacob Eames was known for his intellectual ability. He was an amiable young man and he was an outspoken deist. He probably could be closer aligned to agnosticism. The great clockworker, he believed, had no interest in the human race, and therefore men should pursue their own interests without interference from a higher being. This thinking that came from Jacob Eames and his philosophies were logical to Adoniram. And Adoniram soon adopted them. Adoniram began to put away his childhood beliefs about the Bible. The faith of his father and mother was replaced with godless philosophies unbeknownst to his parents. Well, he was 19 by the time he graduated from Brown as the valedictorian of his class. His father and mother were still so proud of their scholarly son, and they were confident in his future. They had no doubt in him. Adoniram came home to live with them, and he began to teach at the local school. And he was very successful there, but life was dull. It contrasted so much from the ambitious life he had imagined for himself while at Brown. He was bored and tired of just going through the motions with his parents. They required devotional time in God's word and a time of prayer. But these things were of menial significance and a waste for a deist like Adoniram. So after a year of this monotony, Adoniram decided to tell his mother and father of his plans to leave. He would go to New York, pursue a life in theater, Perhaps he could become an orator like John Adams or like other great orators in history, Cicero of Rome, Demosthenes of Greece. There was no limit to what he could achieve, but he must leave. His mother, hearing this, was broken and weeping. His father, instantly grieved and angry, began to argue 
but there was no arguing with the superior wit of his son. His father was beaten in logic, but the son was wrong, and he hoped that he would soon realize that he was wrong. Well, Adoniram decided that he had to set off quickly on his journey. It was about a week after his outburst, denying God before his parents. And he decided he had to leave so that he could get away from the discomfort of his mother's tearful prayers. She would actually follow him around the house, crying and praying over him. Once he reached New York, the excitement was gone. It was nothing like he'd imagined. The theater was actually having an unsuccessful year, and he was an obscure young man without any connections. He found himself in dire financial circumstances as he lived a life he would later call wild and reckless, the life of a vagabond. The friends he found were cheats, They were lackluster in comparison to his talented and well-distinguished companions that he had had at Brown. He was actually sleeping in flea-infested lodgings, and even those he couldn't afford. He was distraught, but he was not about to return home to his father's faith. No, just like any other puzzling issue he had ever confronted, he had a solution And now, it was to go west. So he set off on foot to his uncle's home in Sheffield. This was several days' journey. Because he knew that he had a horse there that he would be able to take out west. However, when he arrived, his uncle was out of town. But a young minister was there, about the age of Adoniram, and he was living at the parsonage at the time. And he convinced Adoniram to stay the night there and have dinner. As they spoke, Adoniram was struck that the young minister's conversation held a sense of peace and purpose that he himself was longing for. But as he drifted off to sleep that night, he put these thoughts out of his mind. The next day, he rode a long journey until evening, and he arrived at a country inn in a small village. The innkeeper explained that they had no rooms available except one, and in that room they could divide with a partition, but the room was occupied by an ill, dying man who they were trying to help. Adoniram told the man, I have no fear of death. I'm an atheist. However, That night, as he laid his head on his pillow and tried to sleep, that dying man groaned incessantly, crying out in agony, terror even. Adoniram wished to help the man somehow, but how? He started to consider his own eternal destiny. Was he prepared for death? Such thoughts would be called foolish by his old companion, Jacob Eames, who had probably achieved great things in his life by now. Maybe he was a senator somewhere. His mind was plagued, and the outcries of the dying man haunted his sleep. In the early hours of the morning, the cries ceased, and Adoniram was able to sleep, albeit 
unrestfully. He awoke for breakfast and asked the innkeeper how the man was, to which he replied quickly, he's dead. Adoniram was startled and asked who the man had been. The innkeeper said that he had been a well-educated man who graduated from Brown College. Adoniram, feeling even more ill at ease, asked, what was his name? And the name the innkeeper gave shook him to his core. Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames. Adoniram was stunned. He sat in silence for a long time. He couldn't shake his thoughts of eternity anymore. Jacob Eames had died a lost man, unprepared for eternity. These events were no mere coincidence. They were providential. His journey west was canceled. He headed back home, back to the truths of God's word. He rededicated his life to Christ. He attended seminary, and God instilled in him a burden for foreign missions. Now, whether or not Adoniram came to salvation at that point in his life or whether it was just a rededication of his life to Christ seems to be up for debate by historians. But nevertheless, it was a turning point in his life for Christ. He was reassembled and he received a fervent love for Christ that continued for the rest of his life. Today, we remember Adoniram Judson as the father of American missions. His legacy as a servant for Christ was not without its hardships, but it's also inspiring. He spent almost 40 years of his life as a missionary to Burma. He was wrongly arrested by the Burmese as a spy, put into a filthy prison, forced on a deadly march, and he almost died. He lost Two wives who died from illness. He had children die from illnesses too at young ages. But God used him. He completed a Burmese dictionary. He translated the whole Bible into Burmese. And by the time of his death in 1850, there were 63 churches in Burma and 7,000 converts. someone who has left the flock of God. Perhaps it seems like a hopeless situation. Don't stop praying for the disassembled. Don't stop praying for those people because there is hope in Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. Our next episode will be available September 27th on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. But until then, keep looking up to Jesus. <laughs>